The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers who are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina. Actually, I'm not coming live. We're I'm live now, but <laughs> we're pre-recording the show here uh, because of the guest that we have on, and um, we'll be bringing him on in just a moment. I'm the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com or SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, you can scroll down. And, of course, we're pre-recording right now, but uh, at this time, this little area on the right, if you guys are listening by Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the show, scroll down on the right side of the page, second video down. The first one is Bradley in the afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. You can catch him live right here on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And then we'll be going in the area on the right just under his video there as well. You can see the face that's made for radio if you want to tune in over here. Also, while you're there, please subscribe to our newsletter. Again, we don't rent your email. We don't sell it. We don't spam you. You get one email a day from us. It's all the articles we have at sonsoflibertymedia.com. And uh, that's me, that's Bradley, and the contributors we have there. And then finally... As you know, we don't beg you for money. We let you know we have needs. We go beyond radio and internet. We take talk radio and make it do radio. Um, we're out in the the United States giving people our history of our Constitution and of our Christian heritage. And so if you support our message, if you believe in what we do, we hold the standard of the Bible and of the Constitution uh, up to the corrupt and those who are just, uh, by the way. And if you'd like, if you support that kind of message, there's a donate button right here at the top of SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. You can click on that and make a one-time donation. You can partner with us as well and become a son or daughter of liberty and set that up for whatever amount you want to do each month. As well as we have a store. We've got T-shirts, hats, DVD series uh, by Bradley showing you what is going on in the public school system. His comic book, which is his testimony, uh, coffee mugs, water bottles, all that stuff that are great conversation pieces for you to use with other people, and you support the Sons of Liberty at the same time. So it's a great thing. You can also catch this live video, or you can catch this video feed on our Twitter account at BradleyDean1, Periscope and Twitch at Setting Brush Fires. Our Facebook page is BradleyDeanSOL. 
by the way, Facebook just shut me down to where I can't even post on my own page, so the streaming is not going even on my own page, uh, due to the fact that we called Bill Gates out for using the climate change hoax to get his hooks in that uh, to take some money from you in the same way he's done for this whole vaccine coronavirus nonsense that's going on. Um, so they, they've shut me off from there. They said I was bullying and uh, I was causing people danger because I was pointing out the guy that's actually causing you danger. Uh, YouTube channel, Bradley Dean. Again, we're still shut down over there for at least another week. Um, but you can subscribe to the channel for however long it is before they give us the final strike and kick that channel off too. Before it's news.com, we're on over there, front page right at the top. And then also dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty and Cutting Edge TV on Roku. Again, you won't be able to call in because it's pre-recording the show, so we won't have that. Now, I've got a very special guest. You guys remember Victor Poirier used to be on with me every Tuesday. I miss Victor incredibly on the show because I think I had him on here more for myself to learn something uh, than I probably did for the people. Uh, Although I know many of you got a lot out of what Victor had to say. However, Victor has a a friend that is now, I hope will become mutual friends, at least after this, it'll be a start of a friendship, uh, that deals with gold and silver, um, the economy and things of that nature. And we're having a little bit of trouble um, there, Franklin, with the camera uh, jumping around a little bit. I don't know if you can maybe stabilize that a little bit. But what I want to do is I want to welcome Franklin Sanders from the-moneychanger.com here to the Sons of Liberty, and uh, welcome, brother, and I got you, I, yeah, you're good. Welcome to the Sons of Liberty, man. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you, and I think we're going to give some informative information here today. Now, you have been running the site here. I'm going to bring it up here so our the viewers can see what we're talking about. This is the Money Changer Com. Now, we talk about money changers here, and we talk about those rascals that uh, Jesus drove out of the temple. You're not one of those kind of money changers. And uh, do you want to take a moment just to kind of introduce yourself, tell people what you've been doing in money markets, gold and silver, and things of this nature? Uh, for 40 years, I've been dealing in physical gold and silver. Uh, not Not futures, but the stuff that you would take delivery of. Coins, bars, that that sort of stuff. And I've been studying it for, I don't know, over 50 years, I guess. Um, but uh, primarily my life and career has been built around the money issue. If you don't know what the money issue is, that is the fact that we have a an unreal situation, a surreal situation in the United States where we have a constitution and all the law, the precedents, the case law, the statutes all call for gold and silver money. And yet we don't have any. The the official money is bank credit. I mean, I know that you think of paper dollars, you know, um, green paper money, but that's bank credit. Those are, are representatives of bank credit. And the big question is um, how did the banks, seize control of the monetary system. Because obviously, if you have the power to create money out of thin air, which is what they do, then eventually you will own everything in society. There's just no other, no way around that. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, we find in, in the Constitution, and, and I've covered a lot of this kind of stuff, uh, but we find in here where nothing but gold and silver coins are to be used for the payments of debt within the states. Uh, we also find that the only people who, are to co- who have authority to coin that money is Congress. And so when you ask the and, – and they also have the, the issue of fixing standards and weight, of weights and measurements. And, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about that. I, I made mention of that uh, earlier in the week, and that is that, you know, God says – a lot of Christians will pull out the fact that, uh, you know, they'll speak about abortion and they'll say, well, God says it's an abomination. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. They, they talk about sodomy, and that's an abomination. But he also says it's an abomination to have – unjust weights and measurements. And uh, so a lot of this ties in. Now, you ask the question, how do we get to this point? This seems like one of the issues that the founders argued among themselves about central banking, and they didn't want it. We, Of course, we had people like Alexander Hamilton who wanted stuff like that, but we had others who realized we just fought a war getting out from under this kind of stuff. We don't want to put it back in place. And yet, e- eventually, it took hold in 1913 with the Federal Reserve, and I'm assuming that's where you're saying that this all started. Do you want to elaborate on that just a little bit more? Well, you you alluded to it. The entirety of um, American history can be looked at as a struggle between Jeffersonians and Hamiltonians, and the Hamiltonians are the ones who want uh, central bank, uh, strong banks, internal improvements, the whole, whole Whig program, tariffs on, on um, uh, imports. And uh, if you look at it, all of, the, all of American history is a struggle between those two parties. Or if you want to think of it this way, it's a struggle by the banks to seize power. So until the war between the states... There's a big back and forth. There's a first. There's a the Bank of North America right after the the uh, uh, revolution, and then there's the first and second banks of the United States, which the which people rose up to fight against because they recognized that banks by creating credit create the business cycle, and they're granted a privilege that no one else has, and they become a parasite. On, on all of society. They, they suck off the prosperity of the rest of society. So until with, with the defeat of the Second Bank of the United States in, 18, uh, in the 1830s by Andrew Jackson, then the, the issue subsides and you get uh, sound money until the war between the states. And then Lincoln needed some way to finance his war against the South. And so they he came up with the the uh, uh, Banking Act in 1862 and then in a later act in 1863. And basically they created a cartel of banks, national banks, to float the bond issues. And they created the greenback, which was just paper money that the government printed with no backing whatsoever. So that's the, the embryonic form of the Federal Reserve, which of course didn't come, not it didn't come in 1863. It came in 1913, as you observed. But um, there's always this struggle going on between the banks and the people, so to speak. And in 1913, 
the Federal Reserve was, Congress created the Federal Reserve and essentially handed over its privilege to control money to, well, its authority to control money over to the Federal Reserve, over to a private bank. Because let me, for all the word federal is in the, the name Federal Reserve, there's nothing federal about it. It's it's not a government agency. It is a private bank. Uh, the all the all the different ban- the twelve Federal Reserve banks are private banks. So what has happened is that the United States government has handed over to a private group of people control of the money supply, and with that, control of the economy. And let me make something clear: yes. without a central bank, you could not have the totalitarian state that we have now. You could not have the warfare welfare state because mm-hmm. you must have a central bank to finance those deficits. The, the, the United States could not even have fought World War I if it hadn't been for the Federal Reserve because the cost of modern wars is so great that if, you, if a government attempts to tax for them, they would have to tax so much that they would precipitate a rebellion. And so you can't have the kind of government we have today the totalitarian socialist government, the warfare welfare, welfare warfare state, unless you've got central bank to finance it, to create the money out of thin air to finance it. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that. I've brought that up many times on the show here. And by the way, uh, Article 1, Section 10 is where people want to go when they want to see this. This is the power given to Congress. No state shall enter into any treaty alliance or confederation, grant letters of mark and reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payments of debts. And, you know, we used to have the, 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 like the, the silver certificates and stuff. You could actually take a, you know, a $5 bill that was a silver stair. You could go into a bank and you could, uh, you could get $5 worth of silver. You can't do that stuff anymore. You get the, you get the IOU note that you have in your wallet and and it's basically the I the I is you and you owe somebody else something, um, so I, I get that and you're exactly right. There's a lot of things of, of tyranny of a tyrannical nature that we experience because of these central banks. Now, you know I've said this before and I'm gonna say it tongue in cheek. You mean to tell me that Abraham Lincoln is not the greatest president that we've ever had? That that somehow he was. Starting all this stuff, and I say that tongue in cheek. You want to elaborate on that for people just a little bit in there? Well, Abraham Lincoln was a tyrant. Um, just take take the case of habeas corpus. Jefferson Davis never suspended the writ of habeas corpus. You know what that is? That's the writ that says exactly you have to give the reason when you arrest someone. Lincoln threw over fifty five thousand people into prison during the war. Yep. Lincoln was Lincoln was a railroad lawyer. That's how he got his start. A railroad lawyer. And all of this all of this uh, fluff about Lincoln being a great man and so forth. Lincoln was a tyrant. The states had a right to secede. Lincoln tried to force them back and he said he did it because he wanted his tax money. He wanted the tariff. And so Maybe you don't look at Lincoln that way, but Lincoln was the one who put the country in thrall to the banking system. So if if there's no other reason uh, to say that Lincoln is problematic, that certainly is one right there. 
Oh no, I totally agree with you. I I, I wasn't. I I'm I'm right on board. I'm glad that you say that. And a friend of mine who joins us in the chat quite often, um, he really you know pushes for Southern heritage and the truth about Lincoln. We've had Thomas D. Lorenzo on to talk about that. Uh, we're going to have oh, him Lorenzo's back. great. Yeah, we're going to have <laughs> we're going to have him back on, and we've yeah. had G. Edward Griffin on. We didn't talk about the Federal Reserve and stuff. I want to have him back on to talk about what they're trying to push now. But uh, but we've we've had him to talk about those things too. But you're exactly right, and and the history because it has been altered around Lincoln, the people have missed the Marxists that were in his administration, the people he he worked with, and I think it was Robert E. Lee who said, I would have never surrendered, I'm paraphrasing him, I would have never surrendered had I known the forces behind what what I was fighting, uh, their ideology and stuff, he would have never surrendered there. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm in agreement with you that Lincoln is, was a tyrant. Uh, it was, it was the, the, the war to enslave the states, that's what I call it, or the war of northern aggression, uh, to reemphasize the fact of real history there so people will go look at it for themselves. But that then leads us, you know, just a few years, actually just a couple of uh, decades down the road to 1913. Now, how, how did these guys, maybe you can give us a brief synopsis, how did these guys come together, these bankers, come together just down the road from me, literally? And how can they come together and set up this central banking and sell it to the people? How, how, did, how did this come about? Well, you know, Adam Smith in his work from the 18th century, The Wealth of Nations, says that two men of uh, the same profession never get together except they enter into some conspiracy against the interest of their customers. And that's especially true with banks. What they did was, um, you know, if you want the full conspiracy theory, they engineered a panic in 1907. And then they got the Congress to promote this bogus committee to study the, the question of banking and central banking, because there was much, much opposition to central banking in the United States. And uh, then they came back and came and proposed the, uh, the federal reserve system. Well, what you have to understand is the bankers wrote the bills that created the federal reserve system and Wilson helped them push it, helped, helped them push it through but what they wanted was control of the economy and through the control of the currency, they, they got that. Now it, it happened in steps because at first the, um, the gold and silver was not run out of circulation. They did that over the next 20 years. Um, but what they got that they were surprised at was that and and Wilson put it into the bill that made the notes of the Federal Reserve a legal tender, which of course is impossible because of what you read uh, in Article One, Section Ten, that no state shall make anything but gold or silver coin a tender in payment of debt. And it's obvious if the state can't do that, if the states can't do that, then the their representative, their agent, the federal government can't do that either. But what they did was they made that uh, their own notes a legal tender, which is like making bank credit legal tender. Now, when I say that, I want you to remember, where does bank credit come from? Bank credit is not mined. It does not grow on trees. It is created on the books of banks. 
And the problem with this system is it is a debt-based system. People say, what's behind our money? Well, what's behind your money is debt. How, how does your money come into existence? Whether it's the federal government borrowing from the Federal Reserve or whether it's your local bank loaning money to you to buy a car, they create that money out of thin air. But all the money that circulates, all the money that comes into existence in the United States is borrowed into existence. And the problem with that, if you think about it, Tim, is that every dollar that comes into existence comes into existence with an interest rate burden. Got that? So what that Absolutely. means is if, if they stop inflating, then the system collapses in on itself because those interest payments must continue to be made. Do, are you following what I'm talking Let me. Oh, let you're me, exactly let me right. You, you're exactly right. Yeah, let me give you a little parable that'll explain it. Suppose you've got five guys on a desert island and four of these fellows are just bored to death. And so they, they, they just think they're going to die and they go to the fifth fella and he's, we'll call him the banker. And he says, okay, here's what I'll do. I've got a deck of cards and I'll loan each of you 13 cards. But at the end of one hour, each of you has to pay me back 14 cards. Now, what's going to happen at the end of an hour? Somebody's, somebody's going to be in going trouble. To go bankrupt. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And so you see what happens is that as time goes on, the banks will eventually take possession. They will eventually own all of the property, everything ownable in a society because they create the money. That, that's just the way it is. Here's the other problem. When you have a debt-based system, remember, Success begets excess. Success begets excess. So these banks are making loads and loads of money making loans. So what do they do? Do they stop? Do they slow down? No, 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 no. Their paycheck depends on how many loans they make. They, might, they make more loans. They write more mortgages. They keep going until the whole system comes crashing down. And the system always does. That, that debt bubble that they create always crashes. And right now, we're in the biggest debt bubble in history. Never been bigger. Because in 2008, they didn't allow the debt bubble to collapse and the bad debt to be written off. Instead, they kept it, they kept it alive by printing more money and printing more money yep. to, to prop up the debt. And giving so easy credit. Giving easy credit, too. And giving it right. Which, which, of course, does more damage to the economy because it misdirects capital. So um, that, that's the problem we have today. We have this enormous debt bubble. And what's happening? The Federal Reserve is adding to the debt bubble because they're monetizing all the, all the, the debt that the federal, the federal government is issuing. And what the latest is $1.9 trillion in stimulus money. On top of, I don't know how much, uh, last year they created three, four trillion dollars worth of new money. Well, you can't keep doing that without wrecking the, wrecking the dollar. Yep. It, it just, it can't be done. Yep. So this is the situation we're in and there's no way out of it. So if you're in dollar denominated assets and by dollar denominated assets, I mean uh, stocks, bonds, things whose value depends on the dollar having some value, you're in big trouble. 
because the value of the dollar is going down. And that's the reason I advise people to get into gold and silver because gold and silver are the only financial assets that are not simultaneously someone else's liability. Now, They're I- the only... Only financial assets that are not simultaneously somebody else's liability. Okay, that's where that's where I wanted to go with things. I want to kind of kind of bring that history in and some understanding for people who may not understand uh, that. And there's a lot more that you could probably elaborate on. We could probably take several hours and do that. But I wanted people to kind of get that background, that foundation for why we're going to talk gold and silver. You know, one of the interesting things that you talked about was when they print this money, it comes out of thin air. We we had heard for. You know, four years, oh, Donald Trump had the greatest economy in the world and the greatest in American history and blah, 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 blah. Well, if you have that kind of thing, why do you have to print money? I mean, if you've got a really booming economy, that should not be a a debt-based economy. That should be one that is built on what, you know, our founders put here in the Constitution, and that was to have gold and silver, real honest money or just weights and measures. And every time they're printing this money... It's not only devaluing the dollar, but it happens in a number of ways. One of those things is inflation. I was making mention earlier this week. I listened to a guy. He moved to Oklahoma. He said, when I moved there, a two before was like a buck sixty-eight, And I can still remember when they were under a dollar. He said, now it's like $6.18 for a two by four. Well, how does that happen? What happens through all this printing of money and everybody's got their hand out going, oh, we get a $1,200 stimulus check. Oh, I'm going to get a $2,000 stimulus check. Oh, I'm going to get this and that and the other. And eventually, and all of it is based on the debt. Now, you mentioned 2008. Uh, I have also referenced people to go and see the, move, the, the film The Big Short uh, on yeah. the housing bubble. And yeah. I, I think that helps them understand a lot. I think what we're seeing now where we saw the manipulation just uh, – what was it last month with GameStop and then some of the silver market, they went to that too. And they, they're basically demonstrating, look, you can go in here and start manipulating anything you want to manipulate. Uh, I think that should give people an, an eye into what's going on. So let me ask you this, and, and we'll get right at the root of the gold and silver issue. Some years back, I think it was around 2011, 2012, I went and bought some gold and silver coins. And um, I think at the time there were around... I don't remember what it was, $18 or something for the silver or something like that. Uh, and the gold was, I don't know, $1,200 an ounce or something like that. And so I don't have a lot of money, but I went and got, you know, a few coins and stuff. And we saw it start to, like, really take off. I think gold was pushing $2,000 an ounce. Uh, silver was pushing about $40 an ounce. And then all of a sudden there's this market manipulation that goes on that pushes it back down. Can you help people understand why that is? Because I think this is going to apply to some other things that they're bringing into the picture, too. You mean how that happened? Yeah. How did they manipulate gold to go down uh, in what they're doing? Is that through uh, the printing of money and and things of that nature, too? If you look at you look at the year 2011, in the summer of 2011, there was a crisis in the European banks. They were about to go down. And the, the gold was going up partially in response to that, but also because it had been in an uptrend since 1999 and it was, it was peaking. And what you have to understand that governments try to manipulate the gold and silver prices because gold and silver are the competition 
to their fiat monies. They're their competition to the paper dollar, the, the paper yen, the paper euro. So they manipulate those figures. And this is not, cons- they, they manipulate those prices. This is not conspiracy theory. In 1934, the Gold Reserve Act established the Exchange Stabilization Fund. And one of the stated purposes of that fund in the law was to control the price of gold and the exchange value of the dollar. So I know they manipulate their currency. They always have manipulated the currency prices and they try to manipulate gold. But let me make a point. You know, a lot of people say, well, they throw up their hands and they say, oh my goodness, what's the reason? What's the sense in my buying silver or gold? There's no sense in that because that's all manipulated. Well, let me tell you something. In August of 1999, gold started at $252. In August of 2011, it hit $1,900. Now, that's a successful government project right there, isn't it? That's the way the government <laughs> succeeds. That's a real post office success story because they have not been able to keep the price down. They can manipulate it at the margin. Now, listen, I've been watching them since the 1960s, and they have been manipulating the gold and silver prices all that time, and they have not succeeded in keeping, the, keeping them down. They can manipulate them at the margin. They can drive them further down when they're weak, but they cannot change the primary trend because they keep printing those dollars and all the dollars they print makes demand for silver and gold go up. It's just that simple. Let me ask you this, Franklin. Um, If they weren't manipulating uh, these margins here, what would gold and silver be at today in your estimation? Well, you know, that's a very interesting question. I, I had a chart that I got my hands on one time, and darn it, I lost it. But it shows the value of uh, purchasing power of silver and gold from about one uh, about the year 1000. And what you see is a flat line on the graph that's very, very high. And then all of a sudden in the 18, mid, mid part of the 19th century, it drops precipitously. And my theory is that the the money, the total money supply is all the gold and silver. And you have added to that the bank credit that has been created since roughly the 1850s. You, you, you have to realize that the Bank of England was founded in 1694. That was the first big central bank. Before that, in 1660 or so, was founded the, the Bank of Sweden. But in the 19th century, all these other company uh, countries came online with their own central banks. And the United States was actually the last one in 1913. So all of all of the whole money, if you think of the money supply as all the bank credit plus gold and silver, the money supply has been diluted by this enormous, colossal amount of bank credit that's been created. And that's the reason the prices of silver and gold are so low today. That's the reason when you read stories from the 1820s in the United States, they show you a menu and you could have gone into a restaurant and bought a steak dinner for eight and a half cents or something like that. You know, something you look at and you say, oh, that's just preposterous. That's ridiculous. Well, let's go back. You know what a silver dime is, a dime minute before 1965. That has 0.715 ounces of silver in it. In biblical times, a denarius, a silver penny, was a man's wages for the day, which is about 0.14 ounces of 
silver. And that was a fair wage. So all I can say is that it, the, the amount of bank credit that has been created has so diluted the, the money supply that it's lowered the value of gold and silver, the price of gold and silver. But what's happening is now, as that bank credit is deteriorating and depreciating, the price of gold and silver is going up. Don't ever forget, it's, it's not industrial demand that drives the prices of silver and gold. It's monetary demand. Monetary demand is the demand yeah. for gold and silver that can't be satisfied by anything else. Yeah, so I, that's I, what drives markets. I agree with that. Um, now, here's let's throw another wrench in here because one of the things that we have also in the Constitution is Congress is supposed to make law against counterfeiting, and yet they're continually doing that by you by taking their authority that we didn't say, hey, you can take your authority and go give it to somebody else. This is one of the problems I have with them saying, oh, we're going to give our authority to the president. Well, no, we separated those powers for a reason. And, uh, and they're doing this with the Federal Reserve. But now we've got uh, this, this, this thing where they're counterfeiting the money. I mean, that's in essence what they're doing. They're just printing it out of thin air. It's not based on gold or silver the way you know the Constitution says. And so they're doing that. Now we've got this other thing that's come in. I know the Federal Reserve is looking at their own deal. But stuff like cryptocurrency. And while I can at least say... The cryptocurrency, I think the reason it gained some uh, uh, popularity or whatever was because people knew you can only mine so many of those on whatever line. you're. If you're on a Bitcoin, there's only so many Bitcoins that's going to be mined, and that's it. You can't make them up. You can't counterfeit them or any of this, at least not that I know of at this point. And so that's this is part of the reason why people were willing to give a lot of their fiat currency for that. Um, what is your perspective on the whole, you know, cryptocurrency? Because we've got a, a bazillion of those things out, in the, and I think um, Bitcoin, because uh, Elon Musk dumped a, a billion dollars or whatever he dumped in there, uh, it's jacked the price up. It, it was something like $50,000 for a Bitcoin. So what's your perspective on the cryptocurrency and how it relates to the dollar and gold and silver? Well, let me... Let me point out first that you've got what people call the everything bubble. That is, every market is in a bubble. And the reason for that is because there's so much money sloshing around that they've created that it's looking for a place to go. So that creates more bubbles. And there's no question that in Bitcoin, there's an enormous bubble. Um, you know, if you look at a chart and you see that the chart is in a hyperbole, that is, the chart just goes straight up like that. That always is a market that's getting ready to crash. Always. No exceptions. And that's what the Bitcoin chart looks like now. So people, the first place, is the, these bubbles are fueled by the money that the Federal Reserve is creating, the, the excess currency that they're creating. That's the first thing. The second thing is I've got no problem with people creating their own monies and other people taking it. That's up to them. If they're free to do that, if they want to do that, yep. go, go right ahead. Yep. Uh, I have no problem with that. What I have a problem with is people saying, well, Bitcoin is the new gold. Look, there are only two types of money in the world, only two types. And Aristotle knew this. 
there is money that is a social construct. That is, we just say something's money and it's money. And there is money that is backed by something. Gold and silver is valuable because people want it. If I give you a silver coin and you give me a goat, I'm giving you something for something. If I give you a $10 bill and you give me a goat, you're giving me something for nothing. So there are only those two, two types of monetary systems. Bitcoin is a fiat currency. Now, it's a fiat that's created not by government, but by computer nerds. But that doesn't help me any at all. I mean, that doesn't allay my, my fears whatsoever. It's a bubble. It's a speculation. If you want to bet on that, feel free. But feel free to lose all your money, too. Yep. So I think what will happen, the reason that, that cryptocurrencies cannot in the long term succeed is because governments have to suppress them. They, they can't allow you, the, the, the totalitarian governments that we have today cannot allow you to have a means of escaping their system. And that's their, their financial system. You live in a financial police state. So cryptocurrencies would give people a way to escape that system. And governments are going to fight that. Besides, Tim, I'll tell you something you may not know. Central banks are fixing to create their own digital currency. Yep, not that's where I was going. Yep. Not cryptocurrencies, but digital currencies. And when they have that, and you'll have an account actually with the central bank. The, the problem with that is if all of your money is digital and they control the digits, if they get mad at you, they just cancel you. And what are you going to do business with then? Which is one of the, yep. re- and, and believe me, th- this is not a guess. It's not a conspiracy theory. I can show you the documents that say they are working on crypt- digital currencies. There's no question that they are. And you're going to see them soon. But that's one of the reasons I say people ought to have gold and silver, to have something outside that dollar-denominated system, that central bank system, because the value of gold and silver does not depend on the say-so of some government bureaucrat. No, that's that's excellent that you you've pointed that out. Uh, it, it doesn't depend upon them, and th- so that's why I wanted to kind of bring all this in so that we move to sort of the solution. Because people say, "Well, I'm on a very fixed budget. I'm working. You maybe even like me, things are very tight. You work to make ends meet. Um, you can barely have anything extra at all." Um, and even when you go maybe with your, your family on a vacation or something, you're just using every little bit you can just to, to go spend time with your family. So they say, how am I supposed to get out of this? I've, I've tried the, the cryptocurrencies. And personally, I think that whole uh, thing that you were talking about there with the digital currency is I think all of this is a social change, the great reset that we've heard. They want to crash the system. They want to bring in this new monetary system, but they want to bring in a whole lot of other stuff. They want to bring in a new religion. They want to bring in new ways of thinking. Uh, We had Alex Newman on to talk about the great reset is more than monetary change. It's a whole change of society. And now we're getting more and more people talking about that. But Say the people, okay, they know, they realize the money I got in my in my pocket isn't worth the, the paper it's printed on. Or in, in the case of pennies, I think it's now costing them more to print with zinc pennies than the pennies worth. So they know that. 
They've tried maybe some cryptocurrency. They've looked at that and they realized this is fiat currency too. It's not got any backing. If something goes down. It's some people steal stuff. We know that as well. Then my gold and silver. And you've got this site here, themoneychanger.com, the-moneychanger.com. And one of the things that I went and looked at over here is the one thing that you say people should read about before they do anything, the Ten Commandments for Buying Gold and Silver. Can you walk people through some of that? Maybe some people are saying, hey, I am interested in that, or I've already gotten that point, I'm already buying some gold and silver, but, or maybe they're saying, I'm new to this, I don't know what I'm doing, I, how can I put money in something and then I got to hold it? And, you know, how does that help me? You know, when I'm trying to make ends meet and stuff like that, can you kind of give uh, a, a synopsis of what you've got in the Ten Commandments for buying gold and silver that might help people out? Well, let me say this first. Um, I would I would start buying silver, and the reason I'd start buying silver is silver is 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 very much undervalued relative to gold on a historic basis. And we're in a gold and silver bull market that is a, a primary uptrend that's going to last at least another 10, 8 to 10 years. And when you have that, the silver always outperforms gold. So I would buy more silver than gold. But also, for most of mankind's history, the money in daily use has not been gold. It's been silver because silver has a lower unit value, and that makes it more appropriate to uh, daily transactions. I would buy, if I could get it, U.S. 90% silver coin, the dimes, quarters, and halves minted before 1965. Why is that? Well, an ounce, a dollar and 40 cents face value of that coin contains an ounce. That means 14 dimes, there are 14 dimes in an ounce. That's 14 separate transactions. Now, you can buy one ounce privately minted silver coins. And that's fine, but you can't cut one of those into 14 pieces. So I'd, I'd rather have some of that 90% silver coin. If I can't get that, I'll buy one ounce silver rounds. And silver has a small enough value that you can buy a little bit um, every month. I mean, if you go to Volunteer Precious Metals, we have a program called the MAP, the Monthly Acquisition Plan, where you can spend as little as $300 a month. And you don't have to you don't have to invest every month. You you have the right, but not the obligation to invest every month. So um, that's a way to accumulate little amounts at a time. But you you just you just I don't see how you can go wrong accumulating gold and silver because it's a value outside the dollar system. And just look at the last look at the last uh, twenty years. You know, if you look at any investment over a period of time, you can pick the time period that makes it look good. But I've been I've been invested in gold and silver since about 1975, I guess. And it's just always it's been up. Not it's not up every day, and there sometimes there are long periods when it's not up at all. Sometimes there are long periods when it goes down, but over the long term, the value rises. So I'd, I'd start by buying silver. I'd try to get silver coin if I could. One of the problems is that there are not many small gold coins. Right now, we're in the middle of a buying panic. The gold and silver supply line is not very big. It drains very quickly. This is the second buying panic that we've had in 13 months. And so right now, we can't get small gold coins. 
uh, gold is about roughly $1,800 today. And that means that a, a one ounce gold coin is going to cost you about $1,900. How many times do you go shopping with a $1,900 bill? Not many. <laughs> right. So, so, uh, what you want to start with is silver, buy some silver, buy some gold where there's also, if you go to the money changer, there's a, an article there called why silver will outperform gold 400%. Read that article. And it explains our strategy for, for swapping back and forth between silver and gold to increase the number of ounces you have. And uh, it's a strategy that works. You know, I don't have to guess whether it works or not. I know it works because we've done it for customers for a long time. So I'd start by buying, I'd just buy as much gold and silver as I could get. I'd treat it like a savings account. I'd just buy it and throw it back, buy it and throw it back. That's, that's the very best thing you can do today. And if you can't put $100,000 in it, put $200, put $300, get a little bit of silver. Just keep buying it because here's the thing. So suppose this, the dollar breaks down altogether. I'm not predicting that now. I'm not saying that. But it looks like to me that the federal government and the Federal Reserve are headed for a hyperinflation. Well, what if it gets to that point where people won't accept your paper dollars anymore? What are you going to use for money? How are you going to buy eggs? How are you going to buy milk? And if you've got a little bit of that silver coin, I believe you'll be able to trade that for whatever you need. And of course, gold too. Now, let me let me ask you about that because uh, one of the big things that I saw was, and you made mention of the uh, the silver rounds, but they call it junk silver. It's really not junk at all. Uh, the dimes you can buy bags of, of silver, the silver dimes, and uh, and and you can get quite a bit of them uh, for you know a modest sum of money. When somebody, when you take that to somebody, I mean, the average person is going to go, "Well, that's a dime. That's." They're going to go, that's not worth anything. I remember R.C. Sproul took uh, a thing one time, and I think he held out like a $5 um, bill, and he held out like a half-dollar silver piece from, it was really old, and he held it out to a kid, and the kid says, well, I'll take the $5. And he goes, well, you just gave up like $25 by, by, by taking that piece of paper. And so when you have those kinds of things, how is the perception say you get in this Weimar Republic thing. We just posted a couple of articles on that kind of stuff with, uh, with the, with the printing of money, you get in the Weimar Republic kind of stuff where you can run up to your grocery store with a, with a barrel of, uh, money, your, your fiat, you know, notes that are legal tender, quote unquote, they're not legal tender. They're undermining the constitution, but you can run up there with a barrel of that stuff to buy a loaf of bread. If you can even get that, how do people distinguish distinguish the value of say that silver dime uh, from just the ten cents and what they think ten cents might be worth, rather than understanding that silver value? Would you have to explain that to people that you're trying to purchase stuff from as well? I don't think so, and I'll, I'll tell you why I don't think so. In the first place, it's self validating. If if the coin is minted before 1965, it's a dime, a quarter, or a half it's silver. Okay. And everybody knows that. And there are plenty of references, books that, that point that out. But here's the reason why I don't think this, it would be a hard sell. People, when, when people have to know the value of something to survive, to do their daily business, they will learn, they will accommodate. 
let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In 1980, I was in the scrap gold and silver business. 1980 is probably before you were born. But in 1980, um, the price of silver went to $50 an ounce. The price of gold went to $850 an ounce. And there was a huge liquidation by the public. They were selling gold and silver. So they would come into our place of business. And we priced gold by the penny weight. We would pay so much for a penny weight of 10 carat, so much for a penny weight of 14 carat, so much for a penny weight of 18 carat or 22 carat, so forth. Do you know what a penny weight is? Yes. You are one of the very few in the world. And, I, and you gave weight. me a compliment, too, because <laughs> I, I was born in 1969. <laughs> oh, OK. All right. Well, um, a penny weight is a 20th of a troy ounce. And so that that's the way that gold, especially gold jewelry, is weighed and accounted for. Well, these people would come in and none of them knew what a penny weight was, but they all knew what every shop in town was paying for a penny weight of 10 carat, a penny weight of 14 carat, a penny weight of 18 carat. You see what I mean? Because the, it was in their interest to know, it was in their intimate interest to know they figured it out. And I think people will do the same thing with silver and gold. As if they have to use them as money, they will figure that out. And here's the thing. If you have the silver dime and you offer it to somebody for milk or eggs, and they say, no, that's just a dime, what are you going to do? You're going to wheel on your heel and walk away because they don't know what they're doing. And you're going to find somebody who does know what they're doing and will take it. And I just, I just, have to say markets are very, very efficient about transmitting that sort of information. So I'm not really worried about that. As long as you know what you've got and you're not willing to part with it for less than what it's worth, you'll be okay. Okay, good, good. I, I just want to make sure that, that because I can see people looking at like what you just said, they go to get the eggs and they're going to give you a dime. And the people are like, this is worth a lot more than 10 cents. That's the, what, that's the thinking in some people's mind. I know it is, I know it is because I've talked with people about it. So I'm, I'm glad you used that illustration to do that. Now, you know, there's another factor that comes in, and I wish I'd have brought this in before we moved into the gold and silver issue. You know, the Bible, God commands not to be charging usury uh, for your countrymen, uh, for Israel and stuff. And yet, this is really all the banking system. You, you talked about it being a debt system, but it's a usury system too. I mean, when they take money and they loan it out after they print it or whatever— that they're getting for next to nothing or, or nothing in some in some cases, and then they're charging you 5, 8, 12, 28%, whatever the case may be, for whatever you're getting, a house, a car, uh, you know, your groceries, whatever you're getting, the credit cards, all that stuff. How do you view that as how it has an impact on both the dollar and gold and silver? How do you see that? Well, my... Um parable about the the parable of the cards about the men on the desert island explains why usury will not work over the long term when all money is borrowed into existence but there's a moral problem with usury too and let me let me just point out that the in the united states the monetary system is based on a fraud the monetary system is based on the government on the banks giving you nothing for the something that you give them. The, the legal system says in the United States that they can do that. 
the legal system says in the United States that you can abort babies. Now, do you think that laws have consequences? Absolutely. Do you think that they have moral consequences in a nation? Yep. And the answer to that is they do. And, and usury is a sin against the love of others. It, it brings our neighbor into bondage. And that's something that God condemns. Now, you know, the, the question of usury has been uh, theologically bat- bandied about quite a bit, but there's no question that it has its terrible effect. And the people, most of the people in the United States are in debt bondage. And the scripture says the borrower is the slave Amen. of the lender. Amen. And so, so the whole nation nearly has been enslaved by usury. So, I, I mean, <laughs> are you willing to live as a slave? Because most people are. Most people's appetites say, oh, I can borrow money and I can get that new car or I can get that big house yep. that I want and so forth and so on. And what they're doing is they're, they're a slave not only to their appetite, but they become a slave to the, bar, to the lender as well. Yep, that's exactly right. And that's kind of where I wanted to go with that. Um, Mr. Sanders, do you want to, can, can you, we're, we're running up against the end of the show here. Can you stay for just a few minutes after? Maybe we'll carry on on the video platforms or do you need to go? Yeah, I can stay just a little while. Okay, we'll, we'll keep you about five or ten minutes because I'd like to I'd like to touch on that a little bit. But what I want to do is we got about a minute here. I want to give you a chance that uh, if you know people listen, uh, I'm not one to sell. I'm not a I'm not a good seller. You see what I did at the first? I just you know petitioning people to to help support what we do here with the message we have. But I want to give people an opportunity if they're looking to get into buying gold and silver from a man that you can trust, a man who believes these things that he's saying here, uh, then I want to give you, Mr. Sanders, uh, you know, the the last here, I don't know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds or so. Tell people where they can find out about you and how they can go about uh, getting into investing in gold and silver. Okay, well, they can buy gold and silver from the company that my sons run called Volunteer Precious Metals. And the uh, number for that is 888-661-4093. And if they want to go to my website, that's the-moneychanger.com. Don't forget to put the dash in there because otherwise it goes to a porno site. I have nothing to do with that. Yeah, we don't want Um, that. (laughs) No. Uh, But there's all kinds of information about investing in gold and silver there. And if they'll look at that page that you have on the screen now, that upper box on the right if they punch that where it says subscribe they can subscribe to my free daily commentary no cost at all okay comes out every day and it's the only source on the internet where you can actually get the wholesale prices okay hang on hang on retail guys we'll be back with you saturday morning 8 a.m kate shimrani see ya Okay, anybody joining us from Red State Talk Radio, we want to welcome you over to the video channels uh, because we know some people come over after they listen to radio. If we go over, uh, if we have shows that actually go over, and didn't mean to cut you off, Mr. Sanders, but the music was about out of okay. time, and we want to put push that in there. You said people can subscribe here on, and I, I just saw the subscriber login, but there's a place where they can subscribe right here. Is this where is this where we're looking no, at? It's that box on the right. The kind of gray. Oh, this one right on here. Right. Yep. Subscribe. Yeah, okay. It's, it's that one right there. Okay. Because I have a I have a paid newsletter subscription that's monthly. Okay. But this is daily, 
and it's there's no charge for it. Okay. All right. Now, we were getting into something that I think is vitally important, and it means a lot to us here at the Sons of Liberty. You know, one of the things I open with is we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, who's the Republican, who's the Democrat, who's the good guy and the bad guy. We're looking at the straight and narrow. We're, we should be united around the law. I mean, that's where our unity should be. And so with that, we were kind of touching on this, and I, I, I really wanted to get this in the middle. Um, sometimes my mind goes way out here, but I, I wanted to get this right before we did the transition to gold and silver, but you are already there, so I, I said, well, we'll just go with that. This issue of God's law and what the Word of God says uh, about money, you know, I wasn't taught any of that. My, my father, I, I love him to death, a good man. Uh, but one of the first, you know, real money things that I learned as a teenager, and sadly it wasn't until I was a teenager, was this idea of credit. And, you know, there was there was this thing behind it. My dad said, I needed a set of tires. I didn't have money. I was just starting a job and stuff like this. And my dad says, I'm going to help you to to get this established. But whatever you do, he says, I don't care if you have to go without a meal, if you have to go without going to a movie or doing this, that, and the other, you pay that debt. Because the only way these people know you is by you keeping your word to pay the debt. And so I always I always did that all of my life. Now, my kids, I taught them different because, as you said, the debt becomes a curse. Um, and the, the one who, you know, God says in Deuteronomy 28, he'll make you prosperous if you obey him, you keep his commandments. Uh, you'll be the lender. And the others will be the the foreigners will be the borrowers. But he says, if you don't do that, then the curses come. And part of that is you become the borrower, and you and the foreigners become the lenders. And so I think this that when you, you said this has a moral application, can you elaborate just a little bit more on that? Because I think that's what the people need to hear. Well, as far as charging interest goes, there's um, there's been a long, long discussion, thousands of years in the church about usury. And usury is any interest. It's not just high interest. It's any interest. And the the way the scripture seems to me to uh, lay it out is that you can charge interest to strangers, and that yes. would be not, non-Christians. Yep. And, but you cannot charge interest to a fellow Christian. Now, that was sort of modified in the late Middle Ages, and they came up with the idea that uh, when you were in a joint venture with somebody, when you loaned money to them for a business, then part of what you got back to compensate you for your risk was not really interest, but just con- con- uh, compensating you for the risk. In right, other words, sure. let's say you and I go into a business together. You run the business. I put up the money. And in and for, for putting up the money, I take 15% of the proceeds or whatever it is. And I, I don't think anybody can have a, an objection against that. But if somebody comes to me and she's she has no money to feed her children with, and she says, let me borrow $100 to buy food, I can't charge that woman interest. Not if she's a Christian. You, you understand what I'm saying. Because to, to do so is to offend against love. So... Um, there's this long history, all right? And then uh, pretty much after the Reformation, most Christian churches just sort of abandoned this prohibition against usury. 
but the thing is you you can't ignore what god says without consequences you, you can't do it and and you enslave your neighbor when you make your neighbor pay usury pay interest so it's just a it's a problem uh it's especially a problem when your whole society the whole economy is based on borrowing money and using other people's money and people consume by borrowing money. They don't save up for a house. They don't save seven years for a house. They get a mortgage for 30 years. That That's the way they do. So it's just deeply built into American society and, and Western society. And I don't know how you can ever get out from under it except by raising up generations of children who are taught not to borrow money, not to go into debt. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't understand it either. And I think that's just one facet because again, you know, God talks about just weights and measurements. And we've, we covered in the first part of the show that when you're basically counterfeiting money, we, I call it phony baloney monopoly money is what they're doing. Um, that is an unjust weight and measurement. And again, we're supposed to, our Congress is not only supposed to coin gold and silver, but they're also to establish the just weights and measurements there within the Constitution too. And that is a, that is a blessing to the people who are, uh, who are wanting to abide by the law. It's supposed to be a blessing to them, not a cursing. So when all of this kind of stuff happens, it's like, why are we surprised that the prices of things are going up. Why are we surprised that we're enslaved to our debt rather than free people uh, who have an understanding of what real money is and are able to conduct our lives in, in a manner that, that restricts, you talked about our appetites or our lusts, that restricts our lust from you know the debt monster, as it will, uh, taking hold of us to where we think we get it, get it today, pay for it later, uh, but we're really enslaved to those kinds of things. And I think this is another part of God's curses on us. I'm going to give you the final uh, word on that. I had somebody come by and deliver some papers here. Um, I, I want to give you the final word on that as far as something that is uh, hopeful and positive. I, don't, I want to present gloom and doom, but I do think we're under the judgments of God. I think we pointed constantly to Deuteronomy 28, uh, that we're, uh, we can see the judgments of God upon our land but I think there's also the issue where God calls the people to repentance, and I still think we have the freedom here in America to deal justice with those who've, who've, done, uh, cr- who've acted criminally, and we also have the opportunity to repent before a just and holy God. Do you want to speak to that before we close out? Well, I do. I think, uh, you know, Jesus made everything very, very simple for us. Somebody asked him, what's the greatest law? And he answered with just, Two rules, two rules, that's all. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself. We have ignored that. We have especially especially ignored loving our neighbor. And we have isolated ourselves. And part of that's the fault of the modern age with its isolation and alienation. But we have isolated ourselves from our communities. We don't, we don't live in communities anymore. And so, and we don't love our neighbors. So I don't think that's, I don't think the best solution is to say, okay, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to start a political party and we're going to take over the nation. We're going to reform everything because that don't, that doesn't work. You you can look at what we've got now that, that just doesn't work. The place where 
reform starts is where you live. You have to start loving your neighbor. You have to start being part of your community. You have to start knowing those people around you and helping those people around you. You have to start. And that's the place that's the place where all of us can make a difference. Every one of us. If you want to live in a different world, then change the world you live in. You do it in your own life. Amen. This is something we say all the time. We're the solution to this. Any of our problems, we're the solution to it. Uh, And that comes through repentance. Uh, Franklin Sander, we appreciate you being on the show here. Um, I'm going to close out here for just a second. I want to point people back to your website where they can find out about this. We'll have the link in the archive this uh, later today at sonsoflibertymedia.com, along with some other shows that I've done and articles dealing with gold and silver, usury, uh, debt, the Federal Reserve, and things of that nature, where you can be able to study for yourself. Because I want, I want the people to to be, you know, to me, education is the real. Uh, weapon for the people. Once they're educated, once they know it, then they just have to act on it. But they can go to the-moneychanger.com, the-moneychanger.com. You can subscribe to Franklin's um, daily report here. You can also see what the gold and silver prices are. Read some of the commentary that he's provided. You can also go to where his sons are at volunteerpreciousmetals.com. This is where you can purchase gold and silver. And you've heard Franklin You've, you've heard the ideology that's behind it, uh, of what they do, and, uh, and I would encourage those of you who are interested in this. I found this very helpful, Ten Commandments for Buying Gold and Silver from the moneychanger.com, and I will have the link to this particular article in the, archi- in the archives later on this, uh, this morning. And uh, you guys, we appreciate your support so much. Thank you again, Franklin Sanders, for joining us. You guys have a great day. 8 a.m. Eastern Time, Lord willing, we're going to have Kate Shimarani and uh, Dr. Kevin Corbett back on the show. So join us then. See you.